0: Hello and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hari and a warm welcome to episode 33. The Noughties was a mixed bag. The decade was in fact flourishing, offering some of the most memorable films of all time, confirming the Noughties had taken a step up from the previous decades. The special effects game was the new game in town, taking this advancement to a whole new level, creating some of the naughtiest, most iconic films, including Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. And in the midst of this superhero and films playing of their new toys and special effects and high-end costumes, others tried a more down-to-earth approach focusing on humor music and just a feel-good experience therefore today's episode i shall focus on the hugely popular 2004 film the school of rock written by mike white and directed by richard linklater and of course starring jack black mike white joan cusack and sarah silverman this is one of the most rewatchable films of the decade. It's a film where people universally can quote it. You can sing the songs, even though the film is not even a musical. You can just watch it in such comfort. It reassures that life is great, and at the end of the movie, if you haven't got a smile on your face, then well, you might want to get yourself checked out by your local psychiatrist. Unlike my previous podcast, I'm going to be... You know, very, very, you know, laid back about this. I'm going to try very hard not to break down this film into great detail. It's a film that needs no real explanation in terms of depth and narrative. Everyone who's seen the movie knows why it works, why it strikes a chord with our emotions, why it's so memorable. Why, if we stuck the movie on today, even after watching it a thousand times, we would probably sit through the entire movie in such ease and contentment. The film was written by Mike White, who is in fact uh, in the movie. He plays Ned Schneeble in the movie, um Jack Black's uh, roommate in the uh, in the movie. Uh see already I'm not taking this podcast seriously. I can't even say his character's name about doing it the way um Jack Black does it in a movie. But Mike White, he's very talented, um he's a very talented writer. Um I think School of Rock's probably his biggest film. Um he did Nacho Libre again with Jack Black, um which was after this movie. Uh, he did some writing with Dawson's Creek early on. If you ever watched that, it's a good series, great movie, um, great movie. It's a great series, and I think he originally he um he wrote the third Pitch Perfect movie. So yeah, I mean he's done a few work here and there, but I think his fame to glory was the School of Rock and what he'll probably be you know remembered for. And Mike White, he's not even a fan of classical, um, classic music at all. The original idea of the movie was so that Jack Black could perform all of his own music. The idea came to him because Mike White had moved to a flat in which next doors was Jack Black, his neighbour. And apparently, he'd often hear hearing him listening to just loud music and running naked through the halls. And he was, he was pretty much inspired by Jack Black's sort of attitude towards just this carefree life that he had. And he wrote a first draft for this uh, movie called The Score of Rock, and you know, the rest is history and apparently it's it's officially called School of Rock without the the at the start even though in the movie it opens up with The School of Rock but they couldn't they didn't have enough money to change it in the opening scene so they just left the there in there but officially the movie is School of Rock And the original script, however, did say that this film would be a musical. However, after some like sort of, you know, debate and uh, having a little discussion in the studios, they thought it might work better as a comedy that introduces music now and again, which is actually extremely hard to do. I don't think many films have actually done that eh, to the extent that um, School of Rock has done. Obviously, in um, 2014, though, I mean, it was announced that Andrew Lloyd Webber was working on the adaptation of this film. Another thing that was quite rare to do for a contemporary movie such as this. I mean, November 15th, 2015 is when School of Rock opened at Broadway. And I've seen it at the West End and it is amazing. It's beautifully done. And I was quite sceptic to see it because they hardly use any of the songs in the film. Rather, Andrew Lloyd Webber uses his own uh, music, of course. Um, But, of course, he represented and the songs were just as catchy as the ones in the film. I think the only song that exists from the film to the musical is the last one. And uh, the math is a wonderful thing, that one. Um, But, yeah, the film only had a budget of 35 million dollars i said only it's quite a lot actually for a comedy um and it made four times that making just under 132 million dollars globally which is quite a lot of money for a comedy especially a musical comedy as well about some kids playing music so you can see you can, you can just see the popularity of the movie from the uh, the stats and if anything, it was like a fine wine. I mean, the film just grew and grew. The pop culture of this film is still going strong in the moment, and evidently so, because 12 years later, after the release of the movie, there was a Broadway show based on the movie. I mean, it was a highly competitive year. It was the year that Return of the King was breaking all records. And that was also the year we saw the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, I mean, the second and third Matrix movie, the second Bad Boys movie, the third Terminator film. And, you know, you had other comedies like Bruce Almighty did really well at the box office then you had dramas like the last samurai and also the really successful find nemo which i believe was actually the second highest grossing movie that year behind the uh, return of the king but you can't you can just see the competitiveness it was up again it was just so competitive The competition it was up against that year was remarkable. As much as money, you know, it it shouldn't have made that much money in that year. Um, It was considered like a hidden gem at the time because of all these sequels and blockbusters coming out. There was attraction in all parts of the movie market. Indie, drama, sci-fi, fantasy. Franchises were obviously booming in that decade. But no, look, School of Rock was amongst giants and it was like the David and Goliath story in terms of how it stayed alive while people were obsessing over Johnny Depp's Jack Sparrow for the first time and the jaw dropping action sequences in the Matrix sequels. And it's all down, you know, uh, all it took for School of Rock to fight its own corner was the highly energetic and I think passionate portrayal of Dewey Finn played by none other than Jack Black. If ever a film was made for a specific actor, you know, like Robert Downey Jr. was, um, you know, for Iron Man and Johnny Depp is Jack Sparrow. I mean, this role was made for Jack Black. I mean, it literally was. Mike White wrote the role for him in mind. But before this, Jack Black was sort of an extra in films, playing the, you know, computer nerd or expendable character in films like Mars Attack, Enemy of the States. I mean, he started forcing his trademark, his laid back eccentric self in films like Orange County, Cable Guy, and High Fidelity, which also has John Cusack in it, by the way, who plays Miss Mullins in School of Rock. But I think he grew some fame and success through his rock band, Tenacious D, with Kyle Gass. And everyone saw his sort of really overzealous, sort of tenacious, kind of, I say tenacious, name of the band, but his sort of um, over exaggerative attitude. And he just has such passion about absolutely everything. But it wasn't until the Farrelly brothers put Jack Black in his sort of first contemporary lead role in Shallow Howe opposite Gwyneth Paltrow. And that sort of established him as sort of a leading comedy actor. And from then on, he's been starring in loads of films, especially. You know, doing voices in Kung Fu Panda, and you know, you know, he's in The Holiday, which is another great film. Probably people are going to be watching that this year. But you know, Jack Black sort of made his name from there, and you know, School of Rock just boosted him even further. And I think Jack Black is what you would call a triple threat actor. You know, the guy can sing, dance, and he can certainly act. I mean, he's probably at the lower end of that category since you have actors like Hugh Jackman, Justin Timberlake, beyonce JLo, John Travolta, but you know, he's still got the capability of doing all three of those things. So, Richard Linglater was the guy who was brought in to direct this movie, and uh, Jack Black had already signed on to do this movie since Mike White's uh, his neighbor. Um, and, to, you know, all together, them three made magic happen. And Linglater was basically known for his sort of nostalgic days and confused with uh, Matthew McConaughey, and uh, it's a great film. Um, And then obviously he got known for um, School of Rock, but he's actually got nominated for five Oscars, and most of them were for his um, 2014 film Boyhood, a film that took over four years to film telling the story of a boy growing up, simple and really effective. And the director does, you know, he does make a little sneaky appearance in the movie as well. I mean, the scene that Dewey, you know, the scene where Dewey holds up a photo of their old band. Um, So you've got Mike White and then you've got Jack Black, and the other guy is actually the director, Richard Linklater. But, the, you know, the director's sort of main condition for joining the movie was that the children couldn't be actors because, you know, they needed to play the instruments. It needed to be convincing. So they wanted to have, or he wanted to have, musicians and did the whole process backwards. The kids, I mean, were obviously meant to be the same age, but they varied from 15 to 10 years old. I mean, Kevin Alexander Jones, who plays the Freddy, as plays uh, Freddie Jones, the drummer, which is actually the same name as the character from Scooby Doo. Not sure if that was intentional or not, but yeah. And then, um, yeah, he was 15, and Miranda Cosgrove, who plays Summer, who was probably the only child actor in the movie, had just turned 10. But Miranda Cosgrove, who plays Summer, can actually sing in real life, so she had to take bad singing lessons, which is apparently a thing. Uh, to sing horribly for that song, memory. But one of the musicians um who plays, uh, what's the movie called that Jack Black names? Uh, oh, yeah, Mr. Cool, that's it. um I can't remember his name. What's the Asian kid calling? Uh, Lawrence, that's it, Lawrence. And all those nicknames that Jack Black has for those kids, you know, Mr. Cool, Spazzy McGee, Turkey Sub, Zack Attack, and all that, that was completely Jack Black on the spot. He just kept going and going with nicknames, and they kept going until it was funny enough to keep in the movie. But the guy um, who played Lawrence, Robert Sy, who, um he came up to the director, he came up to Richard and tried talking himself out of the role because he was so nervous. He wasn't an actor. I mean, he was amazing on keyboards, but he was so nervous and he didn't feel like he was great for the role. And however, the director said that, you know, his very insecurity made him perfect for the role of Lawrence. And in fact, there's a similar scene in a movie which is based on that interaction of the director where Lawrence doesn't feel like he's cool enough to be in the movie, um, which is why that scene's in the movie. But yeah, all the kids in this movie, they're singing for real, playing their own instruments for real. I think the only person who surprised me didn't do his own playing was actually Jack Black. I mean, he can play the guitar semi-professionally, and he played like Smoke on the Water and Iron Man, you know the songs where he's first forming the band, but the guitar solo at the end wasn't him, and um, you know, the bit at the start of course wasn't him, but you know, his passion just sells every bit of, you know, him playing the guitar and singing. He obviously can sing because he's in a band himself. So for the off chance you haven't seen the movie, it tells the story of Dewey Finn, this somewhat talented musician who's in debt. His life's not really going anywhere. Bit of a loser, really. And he's just been kicked out of a band. And living with his friend Ned and his aggressive girlfriend, played by Sarah Silverman, who is facing pressure. You know, she's he's just facing pressure to pay his rent and get a job. And upon job searching, he answers the phone whilst being at home in the middle of the day, which is meant for his roommate, who is a uh, substitute teacher. And the phone call is asking to cover an illness for this teacher at this prestigious preschool and uh, meant for his roommate. So he assumes the identity of his roommate and successfully portrays the substitute teacher into little effort, just little effort at all, in hopes to make some money. This uh, identity fraud soon turns out to be an opportunity where he inadvertently notices that the kids are musically talented and he starts to recruit the entire class to join him in his quest to win battle of the bands whilst also maintaining his identity as a teacher to the school and keeping his roommate and his suspicious girlfriend sort of low on the you know this uh this sort of suspicion of them of why he's going out all the time does he actually have a job um, you know, and he goes to seek his dreams at any cost is sort of the message here. And I said you know, I, I said I wouldn't really analyse the movie or look too much into depth about this feel-good movie, but I just want to make a few comments about it. No doubt I'll turn out rambling about School of Rock, but it doesn't take a genius to figure out what this movie is trying to say. I mean, you could probably deduce a lot of themes here. Follow your dreams, don't give up and all that. But what I think is explored beautifully in this film is sort of the teacher-student relationship that we assume would be awful, but ends up being delightful and remarkably liberating for the children. I mean We know Dewey has desire. We can see this from the opening scene. I mean, the opening scene dictates for us that A is a really good guitar player, which is acknowledged by his teammates when they're kicking him out. And B, he had, you know, he has a jump before looking mentality. And literally in a movie, when he stage dives to a half-empty crowd. Even with comedies or light-hearted movies, nothing is done by accident. The movie is clearly indicating to us that this guy is looking for someone to catch him, someone to give this guy a chance. The talent isn't, you know, talent isn't everything for Dewey. It's the passion, it's the approach that is wasted on people that doesn't appreciate him. And what's more, they don't take the time to talk about it with him to or, or you know or attempt to fix it. The bad teaching, if anywhere, is right at the beginning of the movie when you know when they drop him without any attempt to hold on to him, and this is exactly how old children feel they're taught things via tunnel vision, homework needs to be done, deadlines are set, and yes, teachers discipline, formalities, and even punctualities, everything is black and white, and options is usually never really entertained with children but when we finally get to the scene where Dewey meets the or Dewey, yeah where Dewey meets the children, he seems you know uninterested, he seems bored he 's not there for any reason but to pay bills, and you know seventy five percent of people in the world don 't enjoy what they do, and it just shows through. The passion through Dewey. Just don't give up on your dream no matter what. You know, you see him putting flyers up. He doesn't sell his equipment, which would be really helpful for a situation. he would probably get a lot of money for it as well. I mean, how many people can actually say they've followed and pursued their dreams no matter what? And this is what sort of inspired an example in this movie through Jack Black's character. I mean then magic happens you know the children have musical talent which not only you know which not only by him but does the kids benefit or uh, when joining his journey to take him further but not also the kids as well i mean as we find the whole class cannot be there's a really nice scene you know when the, you know when he's um, forming the band and there's only like five members who can actually play the instruments and that's all you need for the band and um he finds out that the whole class can't be in the band and he finds the time to find a task and job for everyone in the classroom listening to what they want giving them the opportunity some you know summer sings and it's really awful freddie who plays clarinets but you know he gives him a shots on the drum and he he makes summer a groupie but then he listens to her again and it's like hey okay, you can be manager And, you know, from that scene, he's already done more than what this pretentious school has even tried. There is a reason why it was at Horace Green is shown as this Ivy League preschool. No further developed, you know, just to really express the themes, that point that Dewey is conveying here. And in effect, you know, the kids slowly become self-sufficient in what they need to be doing. Dewey goes through options with them. He listens to them. He actually cares and even takes into, you know, other considerations. You know, he asks Zach to play his song. He listens to Tamika when she doesn't want to be security, when Lawrence doesn't think he's cool, when Zach is evidently depressed because his dad is giving him a hard time. Dewey incorporates his wild self into helping out these kids and he's real with them. He's completely real. You know, when T- you know, Tamika is showing self-esteem issues, which everyone has, He doesn't even sugarcoat it. He could have easily copped out and go, no, you're beautiful, you're not fat. Instead, he beats his own self-esteem up and points her to the realisation that talent trumps everything. It's funny, it's heartfelt. And it eventually gives her the courage to go on stage and smash out a solo. I mean, the understanding towards the end of the movie between Dewey and the kids are now down to respect and relying on each other, and this is what the film is trying to show. You know, you just need to be around the right people to explore what you truly possess, and in effect building bridges in this teacher-student dynamic. Dewey doesn't really get angry of the kids. They, you know, they're going through their own thing. He doesn't speak adversely towards them. Instead, he speaks positively and gives them the means to overcome their fixed mindsets. He instills the drive to pursue music in Zack. He gives Gordon words of encouragement that leads to his success. He validates Lawrence, showing him that he is cool because of who he is. It's clear from his interaction and many others in any, any movies that Dewey loves every single one of these kids and he's willing to lead them to success and these kids are crying out for someone to show them the way. Yes, it's in, it's in spite of identity fraud and totally disregarding schooling schedules and maybe what you can consider kidnapping at points, but with these dramatic issues are played down for a children's movie, it's hard to really ignore the true themes that the movie is trying to show. And I promise, you know, that is it. That is as as much an anal- analyst analysis i will do with school of rock i mean there is a clear message there and i uh, you, sometimes you just need to sit back and enjoy the magic of rock as dewey says but um yeah but one last thing i will mention about the film is um the song immigrant song by led zeppelin um great song by the way but um, led zeppelin have this reputation of being notoriously hesitant to allow music for commercial purposes music adverts just anything And so the director filmed Jack Black begging them with with the entire cast and thousands of screaming fans to let them use one of the songs. And of course they accepted. They couldn't say no. And it exists in the movie today. The song has now been used in other movies now since School of Rock. I think School of Rock was the first movie ever to have a Led Zeppelin song in the movie. And I think the, the song now is in Shrek 2 and I think it's in the third Thor movie as well. But listen, look, this is that's it. Um, that's all I have time for is score of rock. I mean I could analyze it a little bit more but I'm not going to I think this movie just needs to be enjoyed because it is awesome and I don't think I know many people who haven't seen this film it's, it's it is a classic it's an instant hit it's already considered one of the best comedy films made in the last half centuries and it shows a vintage Jack Black which is just an experience of um, you know that that is that alone is just the experience to watch the movie but anyways I'm on Instagram film exploration a h all lowercase all one word and please subscribe to me on Google I'm on iTunes Spotify and I am also i um, Uh, i'm gonna be on amazon very soon which is very exciting but yes lesson thank you for listening to me and uh, this is school of rock